We're going to look at a number of passages this morning. We're particularly going to look at a concept, a principle, and that principle has to do with confession. This is all part of the series of sermons on counseling. These are things that, uh, it's, it's kind of almost difficult to preach on this subject because I use it so often and I don't use it in this really nice, neat, organized way. I use it kind of as it fits. Uh, so I've tried to organize it a little bit so that it, it works. By the way, just a reminder, I know Chris already told you, but immediately afterwards, don't stand around and talk, please. Uh, I'll get in trouble. Uh, come up front here. If you're helping with the tractor pull, if you're not sure if you're helping with the tractor pull, come up here because I need to have a list of names. I need to know who I'm working with. And um, also, if um, you are planning to be a part of the Sunday school class that I'm teaching, uh, we do encourage you to have a laptop computer. And there is a free Bible software program that I'd like you to load on there. It's totally free. Uh, it's called eSword. If you just uh, load the basic on there, you will have what you need. Uh, and this class is going to be different than any of the rest of them I've ever taught on this subject because not only are we going to talk about how to study the Bible and use Greek Bible study tools, which is a ways down the road, but we're going to talk about how we got the Bible, how we know the Bible is absolutely God's Word and is correct. We're going to look at a lot of history. I have found it to be very, very interesting. I, I told this real quick story. Um, I just found this last night, that one of the people who found um, one of the major texts that we use to translate our English Bible, he actually was in a monastery and saw a basket full of, of uh, loose leaves of a book, and he pulled them out and realized that it was the Bible. And uh, so he told the monk, don't use these to start a fire. And he goes, oh, I, we just burned two baskets full of those. So if, if you're trying to figure out how did we get the Bible, God didn't give us just one little narrow path. Where he gave us the Bible from every possible angle, place, people that you can think of. And when you come together, they all say the same thing. There is not one of them that is out of sync with the rest of them. It is a really cool story. It's a great look at history. Um, and uh, so that's all going to be on uh, PowerPoints. I've never done that before. So if my computer conks out, um, I'll still have a paper copy for myself. But um, I'm planning to do that. We're looking at confession. Confession goes along with its other side of the coin, and that is forgiveness. Confession is this, to acknowledge and admit that I was wrong. By saying the same thing about that sin or error or wrong or uh, offense that God says about it. We're going to get back to that in a moment. But confession literally comes for, in Greek from two words. Homo logos. Now you know what logos is. It means word or a concept. Something you say. And homo is like homosexual or homogenized milk. Uh, how many of you have ever drank milk where you had to shake the milk before you drank it? Okay, how many have never drank milk like that? All? Oh, I thought it was going to be all young people. Well, growing up on the farm, we, I drank milk. There were months on end that I never drank a, a sip of water or coffee or anything else. I drank milk. That's all I drank. 
Look at me. I'm, I'm a mess today. They'd say that's unhealthy, I guess. But listen, if you picked up the quart of milk or two quart of milk out of the fridge, and don't tell my mother, you can't anyway, she passed away, but we would shake the bottle up and drink right out of the bottle. And I'm not joking. We come home from school. I was get as many cookies as I could in my hand and a, a quart of milk. And that was my snack before I went to do the work uh, for the rest of the evening until supper. So that got me over till supper. But anyway, but what they do in homogenization is they take the milk and put it through a very, very, very fine screen that breaks up the fat globules of the, the milk fat and it never separates again. And that's what they do. That's homogenized. So it's the same thing. It's all the same thing the whole way through that quart of milk. Well, in this case, it's simply saying that you are looking at sin or wrong or an offense of some sort the same way that God looks at it. And you're saying the same thing God says about it. We will look at a verse that makes this very clear in a few minutes. But it's not simply, oh, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Uh, and then in the back of your mind, you're going, and yeah, if I can get away with it, I'm going to do it again. That is not confession. In fact, is when my kids were little, and they may remember this, um, a couple of them that are in the, the audience today, uh, they would heckle each other every now and then. They would, you know, punch each other or kick each other, uh, or they would steal each other's toys. You know what kids do, or they would just plain irritate each other. And I would make them get together and stand face to face and tell them, you have to tell the other person you're sorry, and you have to tell them what you're sorry for. See, sorry doesn't cut it, because confession says you look at it the same as God looks at it. God wants nothing to do with it. So true confession is this. I know I was wrong. I'm sorry about that. This is what I did, and I have no intention of ever doing it again. I don't have in the back of my mind, and if Dad isn't looking, I'm going to do it again. That is not confession. It's absolutely the opposite of what the biblical concept of confession is. So it's admitting you're wrong, admitting it to God or to the other person. We'll look at both of those. And we'll also talk about the mindset. The mindset is... I know I was wrong, and I never want to do it again. This is offense against God and against people. The other side of this, and we're not looking at this one today, but you have to kind of know where it comes from. The idea of forgiveness. Forgiveness, in essence, is to cancel, subtract, and dismiss by giving up all your rights to an offense or something against you. You no longer have, if you forgive somebody, you're no longer looking to retaliate, to hold a grudge, to harbor bitterness, or anything against that person. You have indeed forgiven them. And I will tell you right up front, forgiveness is always unfair, because they've done you wrong. Confession is always right, and there's, it's never a wrong to that, because you already know that you've done something wrong. And uh, you need to deal with it. So with that as a little bit of a background, uh, we will look at all kinds of other things in this short series here. Uh, but we'll look at holding grudges. We'll look at bitterness. That's a biggie. It's the root of a lot of old things, a lot of other things. It's, it's called in the New Testament, the root of bitterness. That's the part nobody sees, but it has the fruit and the leaves and the branches on top. We'll talk about all of that, but that's not our point this morning. So we renounce sin. Uh, 
I'm going to draw your attention to Psalm 66, 18 and 19. These are verses that I have used so many times, I pretty much never sat down to memorize them, but I pretty much have them memorized because I've used them so much. You know why I've used them so much? Because we are a people. We are sinful. We interact with others who are sinful. And we just get on each other's nerves and we do things that are against the other person. And it usually brings some very bad consequences. And by the time... I'm even talking to the per- either side of this whole thing. It's already gone out of control because maybe one person did start it, but by now you have, maybe they did you wrong, now you're holding a grudge and you're angry and you're bitter. Well, guess what? Both of those things need to be confessed. So I usually land up having to deal with both sides of this whole thing as, as a pastor counselor. But this verse in the Old Testament, it's not the only verse. These are just representative of a lot of other principles in the Bible. But the word regard simply means this, that I see what is true in my life. I perceive it. I understand it. I go, yep, that's me. I did it. And then I give respect to it. You see, if there's something you respect, you look to it. Let's say it's holding a grudge. It's like, I have the right to hold the grudge. Or they did me wrong and I have a right to retaliate. I give place to it. I give heed to it. When I give heed to it, I now allow that to begin to determine the direction of my life. I heed to it. That's what, that's what heed means. So I give place to it in my life. I give it a, a little throne in my life and say, hey, I have the right to this opinion, this attitude, this way of thinking. Literally, and I put the word in there, I cherish it. I look up to it and it's like, this is a part of my life. There are people that literally go through life holding a grudge or unforgiveness towards someone, and that's their motivating factor in life. I will tell you, they're miserable people. But it's true, they do that. And it says, if I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Notice it doesn't say he cannot hear. We're going to see the next verse that I use together with this. Is It doesn't say he cannot hear because he knows everything. But he makes a willful, purposeful choice. Say, you know what? I'm separating from you. It's not about my relationship with Christ. Because Christians do this. Believers do this, but it's about my fellowship. He says, you know what? If you continue to regard something that's wicked, sinful, wrong in your life, he says, you know what? I'm going to back up. I'm going to uh, put you on your own. You, 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 You want to deal with this? You can deal with it. I'm stepping back. And then it says, and and I'm glad the psalmist could say it this way, the Lord, um, I'm sorry, but certainly God has heard. He has given heed, notice that word again, to the voice of my prayer. The psalmist said, I know what this is like because I was holding a grudge or bitterness or whatever it happens to be, uh, and now I've dealt with it, and the Lord has answered my prayer. He has begun to listen. He is no longer separated. But the second verse from the Old Testament that has this same kind of concept and actually goes further than that one is, behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that he cannot save. You can't stop God from doing what he chooses to do. He can do that. And it goes on, nor is his ear so dull that he cannot hear. It's not that God can't hear. But 
And that word but, you're going to hear it a lot in these sermons. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. Notice what it is. It's not that God is doing it. You're the one doing it. You're the one that sets the standard. You can never blame God for this. He is the one that always is reaching out to us. He wants us to come to Him. But sin will absolutely, iniquity and transgression, all of these are synonyms for the word sin. They all mean something slightly different, but they all come back to the concept of sin. Anything that separates us from God fits the definition of those words. And so, he says, you know what? What you think, what you allow your emotions to dwell in, is basically who you are, and if it is sin and something you give place to above God. We've been singing over and over again of putting God in first place and putting above everything else. You know what? If God is not on the throne in some wrong kind of thing, some wrong thinking, some grudge, bitterness, anger, whatever, unforgiveness, whatever it is, it puts a separation between you and God. I will also tell you, and we're going to see this, it'll put a separation between you and someone else. Jesus Christ, and that does not use the word confession in this passage. This is the only place in the New Testament where the word reconciled, this particular Greek word, is used. The word reconcile is normally used, and it's used a number of times, about our relationship with God. In that case, it is always one-sided. God has nothing to reconcile. He is absolutely perfect, never has sinned, never can sin. He is absolutely perfect. So there is no reconciliation on the, on the part of God. But we were enemies, and He made it possible for us to be reconciled to Him. That's the other word in the New Testament. It's one-sided. It's we are reconciled by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to God. It's one-sided. It only moves one direction. God's absolutely perfect. He has nothing to reconcile. On the other hand, this word, and you'll notice I underlined the word mutual, because this is a different word. And it says there are two people. Could be a husband and wife. Could be parents and a child. It could be friends. It could be somebody here at church. It could be your neighbor. I don't know who it is or what the issue is. That's not my point right now. But, It says, if therefore you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you. That means you did something to offend him. You did something against him, and he may be holding a grudge against you. He may have to deal with that. But you know that you've wronged someone else. And he says, leave your offering before the altar and go your way and first be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. There are whole lines of Christianity that says, come come to our church service and you come here and uh, we'll go through this uh, liturgy and, and you'll be reconciled back with God. 
That is not what the Scripture says. The Scripture says, if you're going to come to a worship service, whether it's with the praise team or listening to my sermon or praying or listening to Riley uh, play the um, uh, special music or, or listening to, to uh, Riley Carr and saying, hey, that's a ministry you want to be. All of these are acts of worship, whether no matter what direction they come from. He says, you don't come here and some automatic thing happens when you show up at church. He says, no, before you come, to church, before you come and say, I've come to worship God, you need to get some things right before you even get here. In this case, he had done something that the other guy's taking him to court. He says, on the way, I don't care who this guy is, you do everything possible to reconcile with your brother. And notice it's brother, so this is, this is some close relationship here of some sort. We don't know exactly what it is. But here's the biblical principle, and we will talk about this later when we talk about confrontation. It's another part of this whole thing. Is It's always deal with issues at the lowest possible level. Person to person, before anybody else gets involved. Think about it this way. If you don't deal with it person to person, you're probably going to start gossiping. You're probably going to start griping and complaining to somebody else. Or you'll go call a lawyer. One of the things, and this has happened a number of times, people have said they went to a, a, a counselor at a church, nonetheless. The first time they ever went there for a marriage issue, the counselor said to them, do you want the name of a Christian lawyer? This is at the first counseling session. I'm like, that's horrifying to me, because you're getting involved, the government and the law and other people in something that should be dealt with between two people. That's this principle. And he says, be reconciled. Get together. Have a mutual concession. Work it out. Don't bring other people into it. I will tell you there's one thing you can do. You can always talk to your pastor because I won't tell you what to do and I won't take your side. Most of you that ever talk to me know I won't do that. But I will tell you, here's how you deal with it. And one of the things I'm going to do is say, you know what? Go, get this straightened out, and don't waste any time doing it. The sooner you do it, the better off you will be. And then, when you've done that, then come and worship. If you think about it, you've heard me use this principle over and over again uh, during the, the course of a year. Every time we have communion, I make this clear. Don't take communion if you're not in fellowship with God or someone else. Because you have something you need to deal with first. You need to be reconciled. If you reconcile, you probably figured out by now, there's some part of confession that is involved in this. It's kind of interesting that it's both people, because by the time you get to this point, and somebody's taking you to court, you probably both have something that you need to deal with. Then there is, and this is the verse, if you want to memorize one verse about confession, about forgiveness, this verse takes almost everything I know and puts it in one verse. Proverbs 28, 13. I encourage you to memorize it, mark it in your Bible, do whatever you need to do, because you may need to go back and look at this one on a regular basis. Here's what it says. He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But, notice that word, I told you it's going to keep coming up. But he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. 
It's probably half a year or more ago. Uh, for some reason, on Sunday afternoon, uh, something else was happening Sunday night, and I didn't have anything I had to study for. I'm usually over in my office studying. And I got a phone call, and the person said to me, I'm in Harrisburg, and I found this lady wandering on the street, and, and she is just kind of out of her mind. Uh, Paul, can, can you help? I'll bring, I'll bring her over. She, she needs somebody to talk to. I said, sure. So they brought her over, and I talked to her. Well, what she had done that afternoon is she had gone to a store, and she had shoplifted. She had shoplifted probably about 40, 50 bucks worth of stuff, and walked out and was so distraught, because she was a believer, is a believer, she was so distraught that instead of going back and dealing with it, she was literally wandering around on the streets of Harrisburg, so disoriented she couldn't find her car. Uh, she had thrown the, the things she had stolen, she'd actually thrown them in a garbage can uh, because she was that convicted. So I was able to sit down, I prayed with her, we talked. We used this verse in particular. And I said, here's what you need to do. I can see that you're distraught. There's a problem. You were trying to cover this up. You threw it away. And, and it's driving you mad. And I told her, I said, if you cover this up, it's going to wreck your life. Because guess what? You're not going to prosper. You're not going to be able to move on. This is going to. Your husband doesn't know about it yet. But if you're acting like this, he's going to know something's wrong and he's going to ask questions. Yeah, that's true. And I said, here's what you need to do. You need to confess this to God, and you're going to have to confess it to the people that you took it from. Yeah, but what if I get in trouble? What if they have surveillance cameras? Are, are the police coming for me now? Are they looking for it? I have no idea. But here's what I do know. I know what the Bible says. He who, But he who confesses and forsakes... In other words, remember I said, confession says, I have no plans to do it again. He who confesses, admits they're wrong, admits I'm guilty, I did it, I'm not blaming anybody else, I'm not making excuses, I just went and did it. And forsakes. Says, I'm abandoning it, I'm leaving it go, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it, it's in the rearview mirror. I'm never going to do this again. I said, okay then, there's one thing we need to do. I will be glad to take you in my vehicle and we'll go to the store and uh, we'll find a manager and we'll talk to him. I have no idea what the manager will do. All I know is this is a biblical principle and I know that this is what you need and I'm recommending. But you know what? You have to tell me what you want to do. She told me, yes, that's what I want to do. And I could tell we, we, we prayed, we talked some more about how to, how to deal with this. And... Um, she said, no, that's what I want to do. i got to do it. I can't stand this. And so we got in my vehicle. We got about a minute away. And she said, I don't know. I don't know if I want to do this. I don't know if I can do this. I'm like, I'll turn around. It's you, not me. I'm not telling you what to do. Remember, in counseling, I give people encouragement and a challenge and information. But I don't make decisions and I don't solve problems for anybody. I help you to do what you need to do. So we went to, this, we, she said, I said, well, you want me to turn around? No, I need to do this. And she knew she did. So we went and we found the store manager, young guy. I, I, I thanked him profusely. We went to back of the store and we sat down and I said, okay, you need to talk to her. You need to talk to this young man. And she said, well, I was here and I took these items and, and all that kind of stuff. But I'm willing to pay for them and I'm not going to do this again. And, and uh, he says, 
Are you willing to pay for them? Yeah, I'll, I'll pay for them, pay for them right now. He said, as far as I'm concerned, if you pay for them right now, they're yours. And nobody, well, are you going to report this to the, the owner? No, nope, you paid for it. As far as I'm concerned, it's over. <laughs> then she said, do you have surveillance cameras? Because she was so afraid that she was on. I can't believe that a store in the mall didn't have a surveillance camera, but they didn't have a surveillance camera. All I know is surveillance camera or no, her conscience would never have been right. And it would have wrecked her life if she wouldn't have done that. Praise the Lord, this young man was willing to simply say, yep, you were wrong, you stole from us. And um, then we had to go find her car because she was so bewildered, she didn't know where her car was. And then finally we found a car, and then finally... She didn't remember what garbage can she threw the stuff in. And so she started looking around and actually found the garbage can where she threw the stuff in. But anyway, that's a nice ending. I'm not going to tell you that every time you do something and you confess it and get it right and forsake it and all that, that this is going to have this kind of ending. But I do know that that story, and it's a real one, illustrates this verse. Because and I, it, it doesn't have to be that you stole someone. It could just be that you treated somebody badly or said something wrong to them or offended them in some other way. It doesn't really matter. When I confess and forsake, I find mercy. Here's how, what I know. If everybody that does, I shouldn't say everybody, most people that do stuff wrong, uh, the first thing they do is lie about it. I didn't do it. I didn't cheat on my wife or I didn't cheat on my husband. I almost always hear that. And then you start finding out what the facts are and you realize that, no, you absolutely did or whatever it happens to be. If you get caught, they're probably going to throw the book at you or it's going to go badly. But if you Take the lead. And that's what happens in confession. You're going, I'm not going to wait till I get blasted and I get a consequence. I am going to deal with this at the lowest level. And that means I'm going to admit, acknowledge that I did this. I'm not going to regard it in my heart and keep it in my heart and make it a part of who I am. That will drive you crazy. Literally crazy. It will affect every part of your life. Because... It's just what sin does to your life. The reconciliation and everything else that goes with that. In the New Testament, that, by the way, is from Proverbs. I believe that's specifically between people. In the New Testament, dealing with the verse that all of us know, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I believe that one is particularly toward God. But the principle works whether you've offended God, and all sin, by the way, offends God, or it's offending someone else. The, the concept of confession is the starting point. It's the lowest point that you can get to. But the context of this, usually we just read 1 John 1, 9. But 1 John 1, 9 has a context. In fact, is the whole context of 1 John is about fellowship, not salvation. Salvation is when I trust Jesus Christ as my Savior, He forgives my sin. Gives me a new position in Christ. The penalty of sin has been paid for by Christ. And I have a new life and a new future in heaven. This is about fellowship. Sin separates. 
Lie to your best friend a few times and find out how long they're their best friend. Lie to your spouse and find out how long your marriage is all happy. It just doesn't work that way. Lie to people at church and find out if people still hang out with you. After a while, they're going, I don't want to hang out with that person. I don't know if I can trust them. But here's what it says, 1 John 1, 8, and you could even go back further yet, but um, I don't have time to do all of that. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. What are you saying? If you notice, that's singular. The rest of them are going to be plural. He says, singular. If we, if we won't admit that we have a sin nature, a sin principle, it's the only reason we would even sin, because we have something in us that gives us the impetus to sin. I always tell people, and this one is, did you ever teach your dog to bark? The answer is, nobody has ever taught their dog to bark. Dogs bark because the nature of a dog is to bark. We sin because we have a sin nature. He says, if we don't believe that, we are actually self-deceived, deceiving ourselves. And the truth of what God says isn't in us. We are just not really dealing with the truth. And then he says, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, my next illustration is not a perfect illustration. But I went to school when there were blackboards and green boards, uh, and uh, you used chalk. I, I, some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you go, what's a chalkboard? But anyway, but what would happen is you would do your arithmetic problems, or you would do your spelling words, or you would have to write answers to something on the board. All day long, the teacher would take an eraser and erase it. But the truth of the matter is, you could see what the first person in the day did because it never erased it. But at the end of the day, how many of you ever had the job of uh, being the sponge lady or the sponge guy? Ah, so some of you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, at the end of the day, you'd get the sponge, take it to the bathroom, make it damp, come in, and clean the whole thing up. And when that was done, you couldn't see anything. Now, I told you it's not a perfect illustration. But God is saying, no, I not only erased it, but I wipe it clean. Think about this. The only way that's possible is because the death, burial, and uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he forgave all sin. I have a new position with Christ. The penalty is taken. But as I walk through life, I sin. I sin because I'm a sinner. I sin because I make choices. I've sinned for all of those reasons and lots of other ones. And I need that original forgiveness to be applied or I lose fellowship that causes a separation. That's what, that's what sin does. That's what offenses do. They cause separation. And he says, no, when you confess, when you admit that you're a sinner, you admit you were wrong. And you say, God, I see it the way you do. You hate it. You don't want anything to do with it. I don't want anything to do with it. He says, I not only forgive, but I wipe it all clean. He says, if we say we haven't sinned, this is a different principle here. If we say, hey, I didn't do anything wrong. He says, we make him a liar. Wow, I'm telling you, there's some pretty strong statements in this passage. If we say, well, I didn't do anything wrong. He says, you're making God a liar because God says you're a sinner. (laughs) You know, and it says, and notice the next part, and his word is not in us. We're not dealing with what is true and what God has revealed to us. 
That's a pretty strong statement. 1 John 1 9, that's great. But when you put the whole thing there, it even gives us a stronger point to, to deal from. In James chapter 5, and I'm, I've preached whole sermons on just this passage, but it says there that somebody is sick, uh, there's a problem, and it says go and restore that person, uh, and um, God will be, you know, if sins have been committed, they'll be forgiven. And then he ends with this, therefore, confess your sins to one another. This is obviously not to God. The first part could mean very easily to God, but this part is, and pray for one another. See, if there's confession and there's forgiveness, you're back in fellowship. You can pray for each other again. You can have fellowship again with each other. And he says, that you may be healed. That's not talking about I have the flu and, you know, if I confess sin, I'm going to get rid of the flu. It's talking about spiritual healing that we all need. By the way, it also can include if there is a something physical that happened because of your sin, that also can be included. It doesn't mean it's not included, but that's not the main point of this this is simply, you know what? You need to confess your sins. Because if you don't confess your sins, you're in trouble. One last thing. Final illustration. Probably the best illustration in all the Bible. I'm going to cut it short, and I'm going to not read anything. I'm going to paraphrase it. David was the king. Has all kinds of wives. And yet at the same time, he sees his neighbor's wife, who is his general's wife, and he says, you know what, I want her. He calls her in. You know what the, the whole thing, she becomes pregnant. He puts out a contract, a hit on his general. He gets killed, and um, it's, it's over. Now, he has abused people. He has misused people because he lied to them and told them to do some dirty work for him. So he's as liable as if he was the one that, Abandon the guy in battle. I mean, this guy has just done everything wrong. And in the midst of that, God sends Nathan the prophet. And Nathan comes and says, Hey, King David, you gotta, you gotta remember, this Nathan had, had a backbone of uh, steel. He comes, looks the king in the eye and says, Dear king, you know what? I've got a story for you. I've got a parable. There was a man, he was not, he was poor and there was a rich man, and the poor man had a little ewe lamb, and that ewe lamb was at the, the door of their house, the kids played with it, uh, it was the family pet. Rich man had guests coming, and he decided he wanted lamb chops. So what's he do? He comes and takes the poor man's lamb. And David was enraged. He's going, that guy was wrong! He deserves punishment! Now, we use the word, the, the phrase, you're the man, and we use it in a positive way, right? The original, you're the man, was not positive. Nathan looks him in the eye and says, you're the man. Now, David could have got mad and had him killed. Or he could have just told him, get lost and never, I don't want to see you again. He could have done all those things. But David did what I'm hopefully getting across. He said, I have indeed sinned. Now, we'll talk about consequences and stuff, and David had consequences out of this. But God forgave David's sin. How do I know that? Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 are his poetic rendition of what happened. I'm just going to read uh, one verse here. Because this verse is kind of like the 
Old Testament version of 1 John 1 9. I acknowledge, notice the words that are happening here. I acknowledge my sin to thee, it's to God. My iniquity, I didn't hide. No concealing, no regarding. I said, I will confess, same word we've been looking at, my transgressions, my sin, my iniquity, my guilt to the Lord, and thou didst forgive the guilt of all my sin. I got to tell you, most of you have not committed murder or had a murder committed on your behalf. Most of you probably haven't committed adultery. And most of you have not despitefully used a friend of yours, a, a trusted acquaintance, your general, your, your main military guy. Most of you haven't done that. So guess what? You have no excuse for not confessing sin. Because David did all of those things and a few more things other than that. And God forgave him. Confession is point number one. It's opening the door to make sure that you live a life and can live a life that is not separated from God and from other people. If you know that there's someone you've wronged, you know what to do now. It's the first step. I don't know what's going to happen after that, but I know what the Scripture says. I know one thing. If they take you to court or if they... uh, you know, drag you down and, and publicly chastise you, it's going to be way worse. Deal with it now at the lowest level. That's where you got to start. If you don't start there, it's going to be dealt with somewhere. Because guess what? There are verses and plenty of them. There's at least five of them that say, be sure your sin will find you out. What is done in the darkness will be seen as the light. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. You see... God makes it clear. It happens in my office all the time. People lie about things and they, they don't want to admit to what they did. Never get away with it. One last illustration. My wife likes to uh, watch the channel uh, Investigative Discovery. There's always somebody that died. You know what? They always get the bad guy. Not because he confesses, but when you sin, there is always a trail of whatever sort. Whatever it is. It can be a very small one or a very big one. But you know what? If all you have to do is look around a little bit and you find out. Guy would have been a whole lot better off confessing. Might have got some mercy, some compassion, a little pity. But no, when you get caught, you're going to get the, the whole book thrown at you. That's my point this morning. If you need to confess sin, get it confessed. Because it causes separation between you and God, first and foremost, and between you and someone else. Let's all stand together as we pray. Father, thank you so much that you're a God that absolutely has done everything through Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. There's nothing that's exempt. And Lord, I pray that we would not live in sin, that we would not let sin control our lives, that we wouldn't regard it. We wouldn't cherish it, give a place to it in our lives, that we would confess it, deal with it straight up so that we could live a life that's pleasing to you and one where we have a clear conscience and a clear interaction with those around us. Lord, thank you so much for reminding us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Go with God.